This is a piece by a guy named Larry Taunton. Larry who? Never heard of her. What sort of a man is he? Pick from Bama. A man like any other, but more so. Well, I thought he was dead. This is the Larry Alex Taunton Show. Let's light this candle. Welcome in to the Larry Alex Taunton Show. I am your, what am I? Your hostess? Your host? You know, I don't think you're offended by being called a hostess. I'm not because I wanted to be a stewardess. There we go. And you're a woman. And uh, so I think we call you the, I think we call you the hostess. Okay. So the hostess. That's right. You know what? If I were the hostess with the mostess, maybe I would have like foodstuffs <laughs> to offer. Which uh, we do have hidden behind these books. <laughs> we Actually, Three Musketeers because they're delicious. Thanks, Matt. Anyway, I'm Amy Beth Shaver here with your man in the field, Larry Alex Taunton. I'm that Larry, guy. How I'm are guy. you? I'm good. How are you? I'm I, like I said this morning. I'm better now. Good. Yes, yes. You arrived by saying I'm better now. I'm better so, now, <laughs> which always implies that there's a story behind that. And your story today is that you um you fell today. I had a slip and fall. You fell. You know. And is and this a sign of old age? Of yes. The AARP membership. Listen, I want to tell you that for my 50th birthday, uh, Chris like videoed me opening my first AARP little letter. Yeah. So when I fell, usually it's other people in our family and you're probably the same way. We'll make fun of you. Like yeah. we'll make fun of anything that you do. Don't come to our house if you have a thin skin. Yeah. But there was nobody around. Not even the dogs were out yet. So I literally slipped and fell in very tall boots, which my husband bought me. Not thinking about the weather. They're very tall. They're fairly Gene Simmons-like boots. They're really you know, tall, they're, but I love them. The platform shoes. They're comfy. Yeah. But I slipped and Staying fell. They are, and I have a pair of animal print in another kind of print. But I fell, and I had to call Chris and say, "You're just not going to believe this. I did it. It was a 50 year old moment. It was a Mary Catherine Gallagher to borrow from Saturday Night Live when it was funny. Um, that I'm 50 and I can kick. Uh, but today I fell. Well, but I, the fact that I made it here, thumbs up, celebration. Yeah, good. Yeah, good. Glad you were not you injured. I, I was not that I know of. How are you doing I'm today? I'm doing just fine. <laughs> yeah. All right. So you mentioned two topics, and we'll save one. We'll talk about the well, other. I'm just curious, and I don't know which one we're saving, <laughs> which one we're talking about, but do, does your family have a philosophy on Christmas music and Christmas decorations, like hard and fast rules as to when you're allowed to listen to Christmas music. Yeah. Yeah, and what's well, your rule? Well, it's divided. It's <laughs> it's divided. Like, I am a not until the day after Thanksgiving. That's me. I'm that guy. I'm like, I don't want to hear it. Yeah. I want to enjoy it. And the reason we enjoy it is because it's compressed. It's condensed yeah. into a little... But the because, people, because if you have it all the time, it... it it's it cheapens it. Well, and you can't put out Halloween decorations yeah. and you can't put out Thanksgiving decorations. Yeah. But I am a hard and fast if you turn it on before Thanksgiving until midnight that next day, I'm not I'm not going to listen. Now I have other people in the family that are not so strict and they're like, "Well, it doesn't matter. It's Christmas music. Don't you want to listen to Christmas music?" I'm like, "No. No, actually I don't." I don't. Is your family divided at all? We, no, I don't think so. I think we, we're pretty much in one accord. Of course, now they're establishing their own households, and I don't know what they're doing. You know, it 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 in in their own families in that regard. But at least growing up, I think we were all we were all pretty much uh, in agreement there. Do you have a big day after Thanksgiving? You know, put up the Christmas tree, get out the Christmas decorations. So that's a that's a thing. We try to do it that Sunday after Thanksgiving if we can. It's late for us if we get into the next week and we feel like we failed as humans. But the kids are generally home, and so we'll try to run out and get the tree. And um, and 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 we don't necessarily go to a tree farm. We may go to Home Depot. Yeah. We, we sometimes we'll make it down here near y'all to pick out a tree. Um, but it really just kind of depends on how we're living at that point in our lives. And so generally it means going to Home Depot, picking out the tallest tree that will fit in our house and running back home to decorate do they, it. Does uh, Home Depot do real trees? They have actual trees, like do real they? trees. We they do real trees. I'm nervous because I would just think that would just light like cellophane You know, if, I, it, if it caught on fire. Well, let me let you know that uh, I'm a terrible tree waterer. Uh, we haven't had a fake tree in probably 15 years. 
And I haven't managed yet to set the tree on fire. And if you could see some of the kindling that I've had by the time we carry it back out, yeah. uh, you'd be shocked. You'd literally be shocked. Do y'all get a real tree? No, never. We've, uh, we have improved our fake tree game, you know, over the, over the years. And but they're we have beautiful a nice, now. Yeah. We have a nice fake tree Yeah, and, uh, and, a, and a big one and. But this year, I uh, see. I I say that I've been hard and fast. I do not want to hear a Christmas song until after Thanksgiving. Right. Then I want to hear it all the time in Christmas movies and that sort of thing. But I don't know if it's a product of age or if it is a product of just where we are in the culture. That I'm kind of like, you know, if I'm out and I hear a Christmas song, I'm like, yeah, I'm good with that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm like that. I mean, because if you go to the place you visited to get the pumpkin, yes, <laughs> then you know that Christmas is loud and proud yes, there right now. And it is in a very big way. And, and I, I knew that because I was walking around and I found myself going like, you know, humming because it wasn't words. I don't right, think right. it was, you know, kind of eleva- instrumental elevator music, yes. you know, kind of music. you know, something like that. But I found myself humming, you know, something like Blue Christmas or uh, that's probably too secular for them. Who knows? But um, away in a manger. I don't know. Yeah, but yeah. but where I, I found myself, you know, after I left perseverating on on some song, and I realized I'd heard it inside that place. That's an outstanding word, by the way. Yes. That's awfully <laughs> early good, in this show to bring out perseverate. <laughs> Could you spell that? Or for $500. That's a $500 word. S-E-V-E-R-A-T-E. I enjoy that word. Yeah, it's a, it's a great word. It's funny because when I was writing the book that's on top there, The Grace Effect, I uh, my editor wanted me to take that book out and said, you know, what does it mean? And I said, well, it, perseverate means, you know, when a song gets stuck in your head, when a song gets stuck in your head and you you find yourself humming it, singing it, you're not sure where it came from. She said, why don't you say that instead? And I said, well, because... There's a word for that. <laughs> it is okay if people occasionally yes. have to look throw in up. non-fourth grade or seventh That's grade words. Right. It's so fine. When words the word are beautiful. exists, I want to use the word. Yes. So anyway. Yes. Well, yeah. I like that word. And and you know what? That's just um Perseverate. Perseverate. All right. Perseverate. Or you can say that it's like a ticker tape in your mind, just going I want all of you when you get the opportunity. This week to use the word perseverate, you will impress your and friends and family. Tweet us, and then tweet us about and it, and tell yeah. us how how it went for you. I People mean, you are can listening even do to a us real. right now in Times Square. Yes, you stop what you're doing. Use the word in a sentence. Impress the person you're That's with. That's right. And even and if you use it wrong, most it. people won't know. That we don't care. It they don't even know what the word means you unless know? they listen to us, and then they exactly. know. Exactly. The Biden administration just makes me perseverate. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's good. It's, it's not a proper use of the word, but if you use it in the right tone people will attach a meaning to it. Yeah. So there you go. Well, I, I thought you used it very well. Thank it's you. It's like you're a professor, uh, yep. a teacher. Thank you. And, uh, you know, everybody, you can go on with your day now, uh, but really don't, not until you're done listening to us because we have a great show. Without um, Christmas music. No Christmas music. Uh, none at all. <laughs> but we are going to talk about a large central figure. He's the dude when it comes to the Great Reset. And no, notice we're not wearing tinfoil hats. Uh, you deal in truth. You dish it out like cards, and it's real. And I hope that everyone will gain as much as I did from reading articles, from reading some of the resources that you had me read. Um, but we're going to talk about the central figure, this, um, he almost feels like a Scooby-Doo villain to me. Yeah. Um, he's much worse than that. Yeah, but a lot of people say Bond villain. A Bond yeah. villain, also he like a, a huge villain. fan. Which, Klaus by the way, Schwab. Klaus Schwab. But by the way, did you ever watch the Bond marathon back during the oh, time when they played it on TNT? Of course. Right, on Thanksgiving weekend? Of like, course. That was the best part of Thanksgiving. Yeah, it was true. But this is Klaus Schwab. So we're going to talk about Schwab. We're going to talk about the World Economic Forum, but he's central. So we're going to talk about him today. But when we come back, uh, we have an ABS segment that I think will be a lively one. Yeah, I'm interested. Um, so I, I can't wait to talk about this because it happened to Chris and I at dinner last night. And, and I'm just going to throw it out there yeah. so people think. They can perseverate on it. I look so forward, I look forward to that. Okay, don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. ABS, Automatic Braking System, also known as Amy Beth Shaver, pumps the brakes. Welcome back. All right, Larry, 
Okay, we have a uh, an Amy Beth Shaver ABS automatic braking system moment of the week, and that's when we talk about something that really triggered you, something that that got you upset. So let's hear it. What is it? All right, it's eavesdroppers. Ah, okay. Okay, so as you know, um, people are going to talk. It's fine. Yeah. People listen to what you're saying. Also great. And I learned a long time ago that it doesn't matter. I, I walked into a restaurant and literally, I don't think anybody knew. This is literally, I was 22 years old the first time this happened. And they were talking about me. And I was with a friend. And I, I don't know if they sat down later or if I was just in the booth in such a way that they didn't know that I was there. But they were literally talking about me. No kidding. And didn't Lit, know that you were there. Didn't know that I was there. Really hurt my feelings. This is before I engaged on the campaign of developing a rhinoceros skin um, about wow. other people. But I turned around. I was like, you guys, you're talking about me. And they're like, you know, whatever they said. I don't know if they were into were they, their... Were they shocked? They were shocked, were but they were defensive. It was some guys. They, they were super defensive about it. And I thought... This is this is like embarrassing, but you're you're talking about me. Yeah. And then though, uh, as I've grown as a person, I realize that people are going to talk, and whatever they're going to say, that's fine. But maybe try not to eavesdrop. And so last night at dinner, we went out for pizza. It was delicious. We were having a great what, conversation. Just out of curiosity, where? Mellow Mushroom. Okay. We, gotcha. we double cut and the five pizza. Points, or is there another uh, one? We went the one in Hoover, in Inverness Corners okay. near our house. Gotcha. So double cut the pizza. Chris got some kind of Hawaiian situation. It was great. We were just really kind of doing a, okay, let's next 10 years, let's talk about this, this, and this. And all of a sudden I realized there is a person and she's listening to our conversation. Lori and I didn't mean to be doing that when we were there. <laughs> <laughs> and it was one of those where I catch, <clears throat> We're sorry about that. But it was so okay. interesting okay. what you're talking about. I mean, it is okay, but it it made me feel bad. Yeah. And I thought, okay, well, I'm examining myself from all those years ago. No, but why Why did but it make you feel bad that someone's eavesdropping on may, your conversation? I, I thought, you know, I don't, you instantly feel like, is what I said wrong to my husband? Like I'm having a private conversation. It was a great conversation. Nothing, it was just about politics and life. It was wonderful just to sneak away for a dinner while Molly sure. was at something. But I was watching her face react to what I was saying. So she's big lefty. I don't know what she was, but she was not pleased with what I had to say. So probably a lefty. And, and it's Mellow Mushroom. I mean, come on. The name suggests drugs. It, it, I mean, it, it, it does. And you know what? And, I, you know, interesting people when you go in, interesting decoration. The wall we think is the who's painted on the wall. I don't know. But it was one of those that I thought, I need to ask Larry about this. But you could see this. her face. I could see her face. Behind Chris. Behind my gigantic, <clears throat> tall husband. And I was watching her watch us, and I thought, hmm, what do you know about that? I'm triggered by eavesdroppers. I am. Has that happened to you? Yeah, yeah. And because we're a, we're a loud family, and yeah, we we, are too. Uh, um, we're typically American. It's interesting because you go overseas. We're a very quiet family overseas because we've traveled so much, and we yes. understand that in other contexts, people aren't like Americans. But... Um, yeah, you're you're gonna be heard, and you know I have a booming voice, and um, the, yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, particularly, what really cracks me up is when you go to the more expensive the restaurant, the less comfortable it becomes, and the closer <laughs> yes. the tables get. Yes, and I won't mention the, the 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 restaurants I have in mind because I'm sure they're nice people, and and I don't I don't want to you know, pick on them, but where you're sitting closer than the two of us are right. right now in very uncomfortable little chairs and a tiny little table. And the next table is just right there. And it's almost impossible yes, not to hear, but where, where I've been invited to go to said restaurant and where other people are chiming in on our conversation because they're just that close. Right. They're just, they're just that close. Um, you know, no, I, I don't like that. Uh, of course, it's rude when somebody is sitting there listening. But what's even worse is what you've just described is that now I have the right to to physically, you know, signal you that I hear you and that I don't like what you're saying, even though I'm not a part, participant in the conversation. Right, right. 
You know, that, I mean, that sounds like what she's doing. What did she hold eye contact with you at all, oh, or did she, she pretend did. like she? No, wasn't? she didn't pretend like she wasn't listening. Okay. And so then, what it does is it changes your behavior because you think, "Oh gosh, did I say something wrong?" And then you begin to examine what you were sharing privately with your husband and hopes and dreams and just fun things. And and but I on thought, politics. but on politics, and so I knew. She's not really digging what we are saying. And so then then I also understand... That might provoke me the other way. I, I might start exaggerating what I'm saying. Chris saying just to... would exaggerate. <laughs> and so I realized what she thinks of me is really not my business. Yeah. But if you are... And, and I learned that all those years ago. Those guys were free to say whatever they wanted to say about me because it was a private conversation. And so then to have that done to me all these years later, and I can see it, I'm like, oh, okay, what she thinks of me is really not my business. However, I'm watching her respond. And this is upsetting to me because I'm like, at least hide your face. Yeah. Like if you get 50, you can hide. Do you feel like this? Like when I turn 50, I'm like, I don't really care. I'm not as old as you. So I don't know, but tell me. I'm 50 and I'm proud of it. And I have learned to hide. As a joke, I'm older. He is older than me, but it's fine. It doesn't matter. Yeah. I can hide what I'm thinking. And so if you're going to listen... Well, you're just, also a Southern woman. They're good at that. We, you know, even if we want to <laughs> bless your heart, uh, we, we hide it. And so this is what I'm saying. If you're going to listen in, just a little, little, little hint as an older sister, hide it. Yeah. Hide it. Listen. Hide your face. Don't, don't like don't frown with me. Don't listen. Don't like lean over so you can see who's I talking. Have, I have on occasion... Come on, man responded to Woman. people because I wanted to let them know. That you knew. No, I wanted to let them know. I mean, in other words, in a joking way, I might say something to let them know other people can hear you and, and try to do it in a friendly way. Um, because, you know, I'm, I'm hearing you and I'm, I'm not going to get upset, but you, somebody here might, or you're talking about something very private and you might not want other people to hear that. Right. And uh, I had some fun recently in uh, Taco Mama. You know, it's a long table. Yes. You know, it's a, you know it's probably 15 feet. Delicious food, by and, the way. Yeah, and so people are sitting across. And I'm, I'm actually there by myself, and I'm reading a book while I'm eating a taco. I'm weird. Uh, the, the totally do. understand. <laughs> do those same things. This is, this Appreciate is, this that. Is, that was, Lori was out of town or something, and I never cooked for myself. So I thought I'm going to enjoy a good I'm going to enjoy a good meal and and uh, read this book, and so these ladies are you know sitting next to me and they're talking about guys they're dating and I just chimed in and you know just to say something funny, to have a little fun with them and that led to some interesting banter you know between very friendly yeah very friendly but um, but I did want to let them know I can't I can't not hear you because I'm sitting this I'm not really concentrating on what you're saying but this place is crowded and you're right there. And anyway, so just so you know, um, if you want to keep going the direction you're going, you can, <laughs> but I want you to know that I can hear you. I'm not, I'm not deliberately trying to, trying to do so, but it's hard for me not to. So now I'm with you. I think that's a very good, uh, ABS thing. I, this is a slight change of topics and we got to get to Klaus Schwab here, but this, the past couple of days, Lori and I were with friends in, um, Franklin, Tennessee, okay. and uh, they are they are just wonderful people, dear friends of ours. Uh, they're real models, you know. They're just they're just wonderful, you know, um, people, um, and uh, people that we look up to. And um, they are wonderful hosts, you know. They have really the gift of hospitality. She makes beautiful meals, and uh, she knows that I love her chicken parmesan. And every time I come. She's she's made it and she's got it and um, I can predict that it's it's going to be there and I'm going to be disappointed if it's not. But she um, it 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 led to us having an interesting conversation, the four of us, about something that is also lost and that is there's a certain social grace that is no longer really being taught. I'm not talking about pretentiousness. I'm just talking about being polite, being kind, being you know, can I. Can I take your coat? You know, yes. can, uh, here's a place to, um, uh, you know, have a seat. Can I get you, you know, something to drink? Uh, you know, but there's also a certain social grace that is lost that she brought up, which I thought was interesting, talking about 
the lack of of understanding what it means to be guest because she was talking about you know working with young people in their church a lot of millennials she and her husband have invited over loads of millennials and gen zers and they you know prepare for 40 people and three show up and she said it's cuz they don't that they don't RSVP they don't yeah. do that yes and then they'll say we're coming and then and then don't and then your your freezer is full of all this food because you thought people were coming who weren't coming. And then getting there, and this was one of the things, I thought it was interesting. She says, getting there and having such a lack of grace as to say, you know, whatever it is that you've made, I can't eat that, I'm G-free, mm-hmm. you know, or I'm a vegan or whatever. And you're going, really? I mean, yeah. you, yes. ha- you, you read the temperature of the room. I mean, you, you have to be have better sense about what it is to be a guest, and I feel like these things are being lost. And I think there's a there's a correlation between that and the decline of the Christian faith. I mean, I really do because there is there is graciousness, you know, within our faith Amen, and about yes. engaging with other people and hospitality gifts and just just you know uh, kindness on a on a daily basis, interacting with people as that bleeds out of the culture. You're seeing an increasing hostility. Well, you are seeing hostility in the culture too, but you're also just seeing a lack of what's the word I want to use? Um, not just social grace, but a consideration. Lack, a lack of consideration. A lack of. Um, you still get it in small towns, but a just a kind of kindness mm-hmm. that isn't. Just superficial. That's that's genuine. That's real, ma'am. Can I help you with that? Ah, let me help you get that into, uh, you know, into your car. You know, or whatever. Things like that are, are are being lost in a very very big way, and it's sad. But let's get to Klaus Schwab. All right. So how about this? We'll I take do a break. Not feel socially gracious towards Klaus. Uh, Klaus <laughs> Nor Schwab. Should but anyway. <laughs> Nor should you. So we'll take a break, and we'll be right back. We'll talk about Klaus. This is the Larry Alex Taunton Show. Larry is my favorite player. Welcome back. Let's talk about the the man of, I don't even know, the century, who knows? He's quite dangerous, Klaus Schwab. Yes. Yeah, Klaus Schwab is, uh, he is the head. What we're going to be doing, let me, let me just kind of lay this out for our listeners. We're going to have a multi-part show on... Uh, the World Economic Forum and Klaus Schwab. And you may say, well, why does this matter? Who cares? Who are these people? If you don't know who they are, you will. This is, this, they are already affecting um, your life. And the World Economic Forum is all, you know, is, consists of all these power brokers, very wealthy uh, movers and shakers within government, within tech, uh, within the business world. Uh, within the academy, uh, these individuals gather on an annual basis at Davos in Switzerland, and um, you know they're 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 meeting this year in 2022 in May of 2022 had more than 50 world leaders you know attending um, this meeting, and um, it's more than it's probably accomplishing more in an evil way. Than the United Nations, because these individuals they're 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 gathering and are you know laying out all kinds of sinister technologies, or let's put it this way, technologies that have sinister applications. Mm-hmm. They may have a positive application, but they also have very sinister applications. You know, regarding um, transhumanism. I'm not making this up, by the way. This is all you'll find all. this in very credible sources. Mm-hmm. 60 Minutes has done um, interviews with, um, with, with some of the Yuval Harari, yes. who is one of the, one of the uh, main figures who's discussing you know, transhumanism. 60 Minutes did a, did, a, did a piece on him. But in any case, all of this is just by way of saying that the, uh, the World Economic Forum is, I think, a very dangerous body. And it was founded by Klaus Schwab. Now, Klaus Schwab is a guy that if you go to do any you know, research on who he is. And I've, I've spent months on this and I t- intend to spend months more. I'm thinking about turning this four-part series that I wrote for Daily Wire, uh, which is called Klaus Schwab, the World Economic Forum and the New Fascism 
you can find that on the Daily Wire. Eventually, you'll find it on our website. But for now, it's behind a paywall at, um, at the Daily Wire. And um, if you do any real research on this, Klaus Schwab, if you just go and you know, do an internet search on him, you will pull up a lot of conspiracy mm -hmm. theory stuff that his father was a Nazi or that he's transhuman or that that um, that Schwab uh, is, you know, as, as we were saying earlier, a little bit like a Bond vil villain or something. And it's interesting because as you as you drill down into what can be known about Schwab, I've read his books. I, at least I've read three of them. I've read uh, The Fourth Industrial Revolution, which came out in 2016. Um, COVID-19, The Great Reset, which came out in 2020, in June of 2020, and also in June of 2020, um, The Great Narrative. Now, I've read those three books, and they tell you a little bit about Schwab and what kind of person that he is. Um, and what what intrigues me, Amy Beth, about conspiracy theories is is this: often conspiracy theories. Let's just say, for instance, let's take the the Kennedy assassination. If ninety percent, ninety nine percent of um, the evidence suggests that he was shot by Lee Harvey Oswald. Conspiracy theorists will focus on the 1% of what we mm -hmm. don't know, and mm -hmm. they will construct a narrative based on what we don't know. Uh, and so the discussion becomes all about, was there someone in the grassy right. knoll? Right. You know, or what did the CIA know? Or what did they do? Or was the Soviets involved in this kind of stuff? I, I think this is the wrong way about to go about doing research, because I think you begin with what you do know, what can be known. And so when it comes to Schwab... I don't feel like I need uh, um, conspiracy theories of you know. Well, he was the illegitimate child of Ava Braun. You know, he was, you know, the 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 son of Hitler. He was, you know, his father was a Nazi. You know, or he's transhuman. Let's just put all that stuff aside and let's focus on what we can know. Mm -hmm. And what we can know is we can read his books. What kind of philosophies does he lay out there? We can look at some details regarding his education. What can we learn from this, and what do we learn about him from this? And what you find, Amy Beth, is that <laughs> um, it's amazing how little there is mm -hmm. about Klaus Schwab. Uh, I don't find any reliable biographies. Uh, there are no books that I'm aware of that are biographies. You do find, I've ordered a couple of conspiracy theorist books, you know, what I was reading through, and they were some of them are knee slapping howlers. Really? Yeah, where you're just kind of going, okay, this is sheer nonsense. But again, I don't need that stuff because the reality is sinister enough. Okay, so Klaus Schwab is born in Ravensburg, Germany. We saw on the uh, the the Swiss border, and um, Schwab, uh, his father uh, worked for a German company during World War II. He was the head of a company that was based, uh, both they had you know, production both in Germany and in Switzerland. And uh, his, his father um, you know, headed this company that produced water turbines for the Nazi war machine. Um, the goal was to, um, they were trying to build a... Um, a nuclear, excuse me, a uh, an atomic weapon using heavy water, and so these water turbines were um, were very important. From that, however, a lot of people go, "Aha!" You know, Klaus Schwab is himself, um, you know, a Nazi. I don't think that's fair. You know, if if your parent is KKK or head of Black Lives Matter or uh, you know a genocidal maniac, I don't think it's fair to judge you mm. according to who your parents right. were. And, and by the way, that goes in the other direction. If you're, you know, if your your parent is some you know remarkable per that that doesn't necessarily rub off on you. Mm. You know, we we each stand on our on our own two feet. And I think most of us want it that way. We we want the opportunity, you know, to be who we are. Right. And uh, so I don't think it's fair to to try to smear. 
Schmier Schwab, <laughs> <laughs> Schmier Schwab, with um, with that. But he's born in '38, so the war's over when he's you know he's seven. But it's fascinating because when you look on the World Economic Forum website about Klaus, you know, you click on the, you know, because he founded the World Economic Forum in 1971, all you have are kind of bullet point things. It's very Klaus odd. Schwab. Yeah, just just bullet point. There's nothing, I mean, you can give me some bullet point stuff this next week. You're going to speak at a Latimer House luncheon and I get and get up and say, you know, Amy Beth was, you know, born in 1972. She is this, she's that, she's that. But Maybe none of that really tells us about you, you know, who you really are. They, they're kind of externals, you know, where you got a degree or where you've worked or how many children you have. It's not to say that those things are, are uh, meaningless, but they don't really feel, fill out, you know, who you are as a human being, your hopes and dreams, your ideas, all this stuff. But with Schwab, that's what you find. And his Wikipedia page, and I want to be clear, I hate Wikipedia because I hate crowdsourcing. Um, I hate the way Wikipedia works, that there are monitors that you can post something and they just knock it off because they don't like it. Right. And because they have a higher ranking, they're allowed to do that. What I deduce from Schwab's website, uh, excuse me, his, his um, Wikipedia page, which is only 1,400 words. Now, to put that in some perspective, Mr. Bean... <laughs> His Wikipedia page is about 6,000 words. George Floyd's is about 3,000 words. Uh, Schwab's is about the same length as, you know, uh, um, I've even forgotten her name, a woman who's the president of Screen Actors Guild. In other words... Melissa Gilbert? No. no she used to be that a couple years ago, yeah, never mind. No, but anyway. A, this woman is also an actress, but I was just looking for somebody that I could compare mm -hmm. him to, and I looked up various figures and I'm like, okay, well this one and I, yeah, this doesn't include footnotes, but I just, you know, highlight it and then go word count. And uh, you would see, okay, well, this is odd, you know, that here's this guy who, who has the ambitions of a world leader, wants to be treated like a world leader um, and has gargantuan mm. ambition and an ego to go along with it. That this guy, there's almost nothing on there, and, and most of it is glowing. You know, I would think that if I'm the guy's monitoring my own page like that, I would say, let through a little controversy, it looks suspicious. You know, <laughs> and so he has some controversy on there, but nothing of what it should be on there. Right. And in case you just think I'm being, you know, cynical here, I'm just looking for negative stuff on Klaus Schwab. I've read Klaus Schwab. The guy has, the guy has frightening ambition, which we're we're going to get to. The idea, I mean, l just teasing later discussions in this show, they believe that the the Earth has exceeded its carrying capacity. Yes, they want to reduce the global population by a mere oh six to seven billion people. I mean, that's that is the strong impression you get mm -hmm. when you read some of the founding documents that have inspired this organization, and when you listen to the people they're platforming. Yes. Now, at Fixed Point, we have platformed a great number of people that we don't agree with, many of them atheists. That doesn't mean that that's our worldview. But I'm not seeing them platforming, you know, um, Franklin Graham. Right. Okay. I think not. I don't think so. It's pretty clear the direction they're going in. When you listen to Schwab in the conversations with them, he's a guy who, um, you know, is talking about all of us having brain chips, you know, in brain implants in the next decade. And he clearly thinks it's a pretty good idea. Truly, which is terrifying. Utterly. I mean, because if you talk to people about this, and I listened to a very interesting podcast, uh, a woman named Whitney Wright has written about this element of transhumanism and the brain chip. And it is, it's unbelievable. Like it sends cold chills because he really does believe that this is a viable yeah. solution. Yep. He really does. And listen, people watching us in Times Square, watching us on NRB listening to us in their cars and on their mopeds. In the third world, mopeds own the third world. Scooters. They do. 
in the third world, in their tuk-tuks in Africa. I, I want to be very clear. I am generally the opposite of a conspiracy theorist. My training is largely academic. And um, I would all, I, I've told my students for years, um, believe conspiracy theories only if they involve the Russians and the Chinese. <laughs> you know, <laughs> then, then you might pay closer attention. But as a rule, I don't entertain conspiracy theorists because I believe the old maxim of, uh, you know, Benjamin Franklin, three can keep a secret if two are dead. Mm. Um, it's just too hard to, to keep secrets. You know, I think, as I've said, either, either you privately or on this show, you know, the Russians, um, often with executions, wanting to keep them secret, would execute the executioners mm -hmm. so that there would be no firsthand people to... Yeah, when you told me that, I was like, wait, what? Yes. Yeah. That the executioners don't know, themselves don't know what's coming. We're going to knock you guys off so that, so that it's all just rumor. Mm -hmm. And even still, you know, that you take something like, let's say, the Caton Forest Massacre, you know, just a, uh, the, the execution of, I'm not sure how many, 20, 30,000 Polish elites, you know, who are, uh, who are executed in uh, uh, 1939 by the Russians. Um, that was, that, they couldn't keep that secret. They tried hard. There were rumors of it for decades. And then finally Gorbachev admitted it was true. The execution of the Russian royal family. Again, they tried mm -hmm. to keep it secret. Deny it, deny it, deny it, deny it. And yet there was just a tiny little body of executioners who were involved in doing that and were threatened within an inch of their lives. Do not ever discuss this. And a couple of them get drunk in bars and can't resist saying, I shot the czar. You know, so the point being, conspiracies are almost impossible to keep hidden from view. So then what's the case here? Well, you can look up these guys, and it's actually in the opposite direction. I believe there is a, you could call it a conspiracy against you know mankind here, but the reality is they're quite open with it, and it's because they're so arrogant. Yes. They simply cannot resist. We can be grateful for human nature in this respect. They are so arrogant, they cannot resist telling you what they want to do. All you have to do, ladies yes. and gentlemen, is just go to YouTube and go to type in World Economic Forum, and there you will find many of their lectures. You can also find it on the World Economic Forum website. Some of these they've removed because they've realized we've been too open and we thought that just you know other elites like us were watching and inevitably you know somebody like let's say an Alex Jones gets a hold of some of this mm -hmm. and Alex Jones says some things that quite frankly I, I think are whack job I've not I've not I should preface this by saying I've actually never listened to mm -hmm. to uh, Alex Jones but I have um, you know seen in news write-ups something you know that he has he has said um, that he has argued, and I go, okay, that's tinfoil hat. However, occasionally that tinfoil hat crowd gets a hold of something Would you go, that's true. Mm -hmm. That's true. They're actually right about this. Unfortunately, their credibility has been damaged with other things that they've right. said, so that maybe nobody's really listening to them um, on this. But the point being, just go, just go to YouTube. Watch them. Watch what uh, Schwab says. Watch what you have. You have John Kerry declaring to the World Economic Forum uh, their devotion to their global plan. Uh, Biden has, has addressed the World Economic Forum. Xi has addressed the World Economic Forum. Um, and you have all these various scientists who seem to think that because something can be done, it should be done. Right. And so it, the, the, the possibilities here are, are kind of terrifying. And as you start, again, start researching this, and digging down into it, there's a part of you that goes, no, this this can't be true. That's true. <laughs> it's true. I um, started in, you know, based on the research you sent me to, 
at each reading because I have to print it out yeah. and read it so I can underline it. This I'm one impressed. was the uh, the predicament of mankind. Yes, uh, I'd like to call it "Trust us, we're the experts, and aren't you glad we are?" Yes, <laughs> I mean, 1970. You know, I mean, this is this is what rang true, and then on to their diabolical ideas yep. that they find tenable. But it is unbelievable that that at, at this point they're trying to keep the Kissinger paper, the Kissinger report, secret. Yeah. It's classified. Then it becomes declassified. But if you go back and read, and I'm so glad that you had me do this, I could not believe... Cheery reading, isn't it? Oh, it's so cheery. I, I told your wife that yesterday, I told you before the show, it was so depressing. I made it halfway through the Kissinger Report. I had to get up and make chocolate chip cookies because I was so bothered and by what they? they were saying. I know, I'm really... I'll bring them next time. Okay. I, I really will. I froze a lot of dough. Um, but it was so depressing, but their arrogance to believe that there's a small group of people that have come along, world, you are welcome. Yeah, to we're our entitled ideas. to make we, we're, we're unelected. Entitled. We're, we're unelected. We are brazenly arrogant. We don't care about you. But here's what we're going to do. And oh, aren't you lucky? That's we're right. Here. They they clearly have a, um, a, um, a a total disregard for the will of the people. Yes, because they are sure that they are qualified to make the tough decisions. But Schwab is an interesting character. Schwab, listen, he's been received a knighthood from um, the the now deceased Queen Elizabeth II, uh, God rest her soul. Uh, he has received um, 17 honorary doctorates. There are those people who want to say, well, he's a Nazi and he's an anti-Semite. N- nothing in my research suggests that, nothing. In fact, his resume suggests a lifetime of achievement. So then, where's the fear? Yes. Where's the negativity? Well, you begin to read what this guy is uh, is is about. I finally realized the guy's a technocrat. In other words, he, he is, his education strikes me when you read his books as an inch wide and a mile deep. He can he can talk. Uh, easily on technological issues, um, the science, move easily on that. But he strikes me as as lacking the kind of moral education that only literature, and I would say Christian literature, can impart. There, there's there, there's a, a, a lack of wisdom, a disregard for history. They're utopians. Yes. And utopians are the most dangerous people on the planet. And it's because... Ladies and gentlemen, where in the Christian worldview, it's not to say that you know that that Jesus was opposed to the development of organizations that help people, but in the Christian model, generally speaking, you're helping the individual that's in front of you, right? Yes. So you help the widow, you help the the, the beggar in the streets, uh, you help the orphan, you help the person who's in front of you. We do it on an individual basis, on a daily basis, as we engage with people within our own spheres of influence, within our own our own worlds. This is not the way these people think. For them, it's, it's not about helping the individual for whom you've sensed they have utter dis- disdain. It's about saving the millions and the billions. Mm-hmm. It's an all or nothing proposition for them. I'm reminded of a line from Dostoevsky's The Brothers Karamazov, it's a funny line that says, "The more um, something like this, the the more I uh, I love man and the individual, the less I love him. Excuse me, the more I love man in general, the less I love him in particular. Yeah. And this, to me, is a very leftist mentality. Mm-hmm. I love man in the abstract, not in the individual. I love the idea of the poor, but I don't want to meet any of them. I don't want to bump up against Boy, them. I love true? the idea of helping the orphan or helping the poor, but I don't want to be the one who who does that. Right. This is the way they think. So where the average conservative, the easiest way that I can explain this, um, I, I decided is, is maybe to put it this way, where the average the average individual of a, of a conservative mindset wakes up in the morning and grabs a cup of coffee and begins thinking about how to organize their day, the average leftist wakes up in the morning and begins thinking about how to organize your day too. I mean, and we should all stop because that is literally the best line. Like I underlined it, fabulous. Can you say that again? Because I think it is so great. These are individuals 
who don't think in terms of you know just their own lives, they want to control your life too. They're like your HOA president. <laughs> It doesn't so it always seem, and there are rare exceptions to this, but often, how is it that you think th- there's a small body of, you know, of whack jobs, but somehow they end up in control of local government, of federal government, um, of your HOA, of the, uh, they're, they're the, the partners who are running the, 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 the practice or your firm. And you're thinking, how did this happen? And I think it's because for the most part, conservatives don't aspire to those things. Mm -hmm. Conservatives don't think like that. Conservatives think in terms of, you know, live and let live. I, I live my life and you live yours. Um, you know, in, you know, having, having, um, been a member of, uh, of, of a homeowners association, I thought was funny. The homeowners, uh, president upon my moving in immediately comes over and begins laying down laws to me about what I can and can't put in my front yard and think, and I feel myself getting my back up oh, and yeah. I'm thinking all of that is going in the front yard. It wasn't before, <laughs> but it is now, but it is, but it is that person such who a Chris Shaver move it right there. Is, it is that person who tells you, you got to get your Christmas decorations down because now it is, it is, it is, you know, past Christmas, it's over. You, you, you can't do that. You, you have, there's too many cars parked on the street. Got to move them. Uh, this kind of stuff. So, uh, the point simply being that it feels to me like what the world economic forum is in a sense is it's like the HOA from hell. It's like, it's like <laughs> a guy, a like a Klaus Schwab. <laughs> it's like a, a Klaus Schwab wasn't contented annoying people individually. He wanted to annoy them uh, you know, on a global scale. So he gets together, you know, the, these world leaders who all share a similarly godless, and I do want to stress this, a godless worldview. And, you know, years ago, some people who are listening to us, who are watching us, will know that we have engaged a lot on the atheist front, you know, debating guys like Peter Singer and Daniel Dennett and Richard Dawkins and Christopher Hitchens and and Michael Shermer and 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 others. Um, it feels to me like now what has happened, Amy Beth, is that the, that debate has moved on a notch from the academy to now where it's trickling down into mm-hmm. you know into government. Um, it's uh, it's in your schools. It's uh, it's it's in Hollywood. It's everywhere. Where no longer is there really a debate among them about God's existence. Like, for instance, if you read a Klaus Schwab book, it isn't so much that you see him pounding the table about, hey, there's no religion, there's no God, there's there's none of this. It's just assumed. Hmm. And that worldview is a depressing worldview. And you say, well, how is that? How's that so, Larry? In what way is it godless? Well, he's quoting, for instance, Peter Singer, who I know, who's quite possibly the most influential and dangerous philosopher of the second half of the 20th century. I mean, he he founded the animal rights movement with a book called Animal Liberation in 1975. Uh, he's a guy who says parents should get 28 days with a newborn child, determine whether or not to keep it or to euthanize it. This isn't some crackpot teaching at a community college. He's at Princeton, and he's a celebrated philosopher at Princeton. Uh, uh, Professor John Lennox, who some who are listening will... Um, that name will be known to them, Oxford University uh, mathematician and philosopher of science was telling me that Singer's books are used at Oxford in their medical school in bioethics. In other words, the guys who are being taught ethics, your husband probably had to read some of his stuff when he was in med school. Um, You have ethicists who are taking their cues from Singer. And that's, that's scary stuff because... He's the most logical philosopher, uh, atheist that I've ever met. And by that, I don't mean he's the most right. Rather, what I mean is he's willing to follow his his atheism to its logical conclusions in a way that, that Richard Dawkins is not, thank God. Christopher Hitchens was not, thank God. Uh, Still some others um, who are not willing to go there. This modern iteration of atheists, they are willing to go there. And it's because I think that while the gospel didn't really penetrate the heart of a, um, say, a Dawkins or a, a Hitchens to the point of conversion, 
in their youth, they're old enough that they were required to attend, you know, chapel services. They were, they did receive some biblical instruction. They received enough of it, in my view, that it serves as a restraint. That there's, there's, there's enough of a Christian worldview in them where they believe that somewhere down in the marrow of their bones, mm -hmm. that man isn't an animal like any other. Well, that's not Singer. Singer thinks that man is an animal like any other. And so does Klaus Schwab. That's the way these guys act. So in their mind, when you say to them that the earth has exceeded its carrying capacity, that the earth uh, really can only sustain, you know, um, uh, easily a global population, human population of one to two billion people, the answer for them is quite simple. We just need to reduce that population. From a Christian point of view, you're going, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yes. Yes. What, what do you mean reduce that population? What does that look like for you? And so you wonder, what is the push on, a, on abortion? Read the predicament of man. Absolutely. Read the Kissinger report. Again, the Kissinger report, which we'll get to in a later episode, but the Kissinger report is, I think, 1974. Uh, I, here's an interesting Here's an interesting ideological genealogy. The Predicament of Man is written in 1970. It's a white paper. It's an academic paper. It wasn't meant for, you know... Speaking of... There we go. Right here. Yeah, it wasn't meant for the average person to read. No. But this was produced by the Club of Rome, mm -hmm. a think tank that's based in Zurich, actually. But they, uh, they produced that to say, look... Global leaders are not paying attention to some of the larger problems because they're driven by election concerns. Mm -hmm. They care too much about what the voters are in their district think. And we need people who are thinking at a much higher level about sustainability of the Earth's population and um, the environment and this kind of stuff. So they write this. I think it's you know about 30 pages, this yeah, paper here. Yeah, it's not here. super long. Yeah, 31. They wrote um, this paper here. It's, it's poorly written, by the way. Yeah. How they could not go out and hire <laughs> good writers. Right. All of these books are in papers are, are right. truly badly written. But that's written in 1970. They're saying, we need somebody to really study these issues. The result of that was a book called Limits to Growth, which sold about 30 million copies. Which is so disturbing. If you read this, you're thinking, how <clears throat> in the world could it? Sell thirty million. Yeah, copies. exactly. Go go in go online and watch interviews of Dennis Meadows, who's one of the most honest members. There were four authors to Limits to Growth, which again was published in seventy two, and um, Klaus Schwab very proudly says we launched that book, meaning the World Economic Forum, which was founded you know in seventy one. So um, they helped popularize that. But Limits to Growth has had a massive impact on the academy, the thinking uh, within the scientific um, community. And limits to growth may be, may be summarized in this. We need to reduce the Earth's population. Yes. We have vastly exceeded it. And that book continues to be updated and, uh, and reissued. But isn't this fascinating, Amy Beth? That book is published in 72. You have Roe v. Wade in 73, and you have the Kissinger Report in 74. Is there some kind of connection between Club of Rome's you know, white paper, The Predicament of Man, and then the other three? They all are right there in that area and where the average person isn't hearing this and thinking about this, but in, in these, these smoke-filled academic rooms where the conversations are taking place, there's a lot of conversation taking place at that time about the global population. And Kissinger's, you know, this report that was written for Nixon mm -hmm. on how to, um, to sustain um, food for an American population, how to maintain um, our global, global hegemony, uh, he says, look, you know, we need to promote international versions of um, Planned Parenthood. Yep. We need uh, and we need to be careful that it doesn't, you know, um, find its way back to us, that people see what it is that we're promoting, what it is that we're doing. But we need to be promoting this 
And he's quite open in the way he says it. But again, it's because that paper was a, um, uh, a classified. And I think it was in the early 90s. could have been in the 80s. But I think it's Freedom of Information Act that eventually mm-hmm. brought that out from under wraps. And you begin reading this. And listen, if you search these documents, except for that one, because that one, again, was written thinking that the public would never see it. But generally, these papers, when you... when you, I usually get a hard copy, and then I get an electronic mm-hmm. copy. And I like the electronic copy because I can search keywords. Yes. And then I like the other one so that I can I can take notes. When you search words like population, depopulation, uh, overpopulation, often you find nothing. And it's because they're very careful in their verbiage. In other words, they'll say something like this. They will say... Um, we need long-term environmental viability and to reduce stress upon the ecosystem. <laughs> well, wh- what does that mean? Well, when you see what they're proposing, it's quite clear what that means. Yeah. So this is what the World Economic Forum is. And it's easy for you, anybody who's listening here, if this stuff sounds like tinfoil hat stuff to you, I assure you it is not. You can find it on the World Economic Forum's website. You can find their lectures on YouTube at the World Economic Forum. Dennis Meadows, one of the authors, he's MIT. He was a graduate of MIT. He was a, uh, I think he's now um, Professor Emeritus of something like um, Information Management Systems at the University of Connecticut. Dennis Meadows, who's one of the four, four authors of Limits to Growth, you can find him in whoever did this. I don't know what their what their ideological slant is. Who did the, the mm-hmm. film, the interviews right. with him? I don't know if they're conservative or they're liberal, but whoever they are, I'm grateful for them because they got Meadows to really say what he thinks. Yes, and it, what's great is that you see him during the interview, and he's not even sure the camera's on, but he says, "Look, you know, since you guys can edit this stuff out and." I'll just go ahead and and say the real real controversial stuff here that nobody really wants to say or acknowledge, but we need to reduce the Earth's population by about you know six or seven billion people. And your your jaw just <laughs> you're just like, did he just say that? And, and indeed then, he did. <laughs> did. Did you watch it? Did you see the video? I read it. Okay. And, well, and I about fell out of my chair. I was like, oh, he you've is gotta very watch bold. This. You got to watch this because then he says. And by the way, Meadows comes off as this really nice, likable they all do. guy who just wants to get rid of six or seven billion people. Meadows says, look, I, I hope it can be done peacefully. And then he says, peacefully doesn't mean that everybody's going to like the decisions here. But we need a dictatorship. And a dictatorship would be preferable. I mean, I'm quoting him where some hard decisions are made. And what he's talking about here by peacefully is you are seeing, and I don't know if you've seen this in recent reports, some provinces in Canada are seeing um, some of their uh, spike in deaths among uh, elderly, as much as 5% of them are euthanasia. Meaning the Canadians are very much pushing euthanasia. They want to see elderly say, you know, I've lived long enough. You know, you're AARP now. I mean, it's time to go. You've had a good life. See everybody. (laughs) You've had a good life. It's Mm. time to do yourself in because you're a strain on the the ecosystem. Uh, You're a strain on, on limited resources. They are pushing this in a very big way. And some people will recall a few years ago something called Agenda 21. Yes. Agenda 21, that you can find this video where you have them saying, I, you know, I've lived a good life. It's time to, you know, it's time to take my own life. This is their view mm. of human life. And you see, this is what I mean when I say, when I say that it's godless. It isn't so much that there's a debate about God, it's just that they're arriving at the place that Romans 1 tells you, you will go. Hmm. There is a place at which you will go where, you know, as G.K. Chesterton, you know, put it, it isn't that that Amanda doesn't believe in God, uh, doesn't believe in anything. It's that he will believe in everything and he's willing to countenance 
all kinds of crazy propositions when there's no longer a God. There's no longer, as we say, a fixed point. So that you, um, you, you begin to say things like, well, a man can be a woman. A woman can be a man. Well, you know, if uh, granny is, uh, you know, becoming a little bit of a drain and an inconvenience, let's do her in. We'll do it peacefully. Hmm. Well, try to do it painlessly, but let's do her in. But see, this is the way these people think. And this is the organization that Klaus Schwab has found that the Biden administration has declared, quote, their devotion to their agenda. People need to wake up to this, and we're going to be discussing it in, in, in ongoing shows. So you know what we'll do? We'll, we'll stop right there, and we'll come back with part two of uh, this series uh, on Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum. So thank you for tuning in. Um, I know you're like me. You can't wait to get to the next discussion. I hope you will share this. Download it. Share it. Tell your friends, send them to these sites to go look up this information for themselves um, because you're going to want to share that with people as well. So we will uh, see you next time. Turn out the lights, the party's over. <laughs> they say that all. Ladies and gentlemen, we are grateful for the standing ovation, but there will be no encore for today's performance. Please exit the building in an orderly fashion. Thank you. Honey, can we leave now?